0: Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have, or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Early on in my life as a follower of Jesus, I heard a statement that was made by a man named A.W. Tozer. And that statement deeply impacted my life then and has continued to impact my life even today. And here's the statement that I heard from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you and I think about When we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Last Sunday, we started a brand new teaching series here at Hope called Miracles. And the attribute of God that I thought about most last Sunday when we launched this new series was the attribute of God's bigness. And here's what's so powerful about that. I do not think we can really engage our hearts and our minds in this reality of a miracle working God unless we first engage our hearts and our minds around the bigness of our God. The bigness of our Heavenly Father is clear throughout the scriptures. One of those places that speaks about His bigness is in Isaiah chapter 66. Listen to these verses. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. Our God. Is a big God. And because of that. This reality is true. There is nothing. Too big. For God. There's nothing. That's too big for him. It is very easy for us as followers of Jesus. To become overwhelmed. By our circumstances. By our relationships. By our life rhythms. But. All the while, there is nothing too big for God. And one of the ways that we see His bigness demonstrated is as you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels and you see the miraculous things that He did. Last Sunday as we launched this series, we defined miracles as this. Miracles are the extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. And so as a fellowship, we're taking four weeks and we're gonna study throughout the gospels some moments when Jesus unleashed his extraordinary power in everyday life. You see, scripture not only shows us what Jesus did, it also shows us what Jesus can do today. And as we launched this series last week, we were very clear about something. And I want to be very clear about that same thing again this morning. And it's this. We cannot manipulate God to work on our agenda. We can learn some characteristics that invite God's power into our lives should He choose in His sovereign will to display His glory in that way in our everyday lives. And last week, the characteristic that we looked at, one of the characteristics we believe invites the power of God into our everyday lives is desperate faith. And this morning, we're going to look from God's Word at another characteristic that we believe invites the power of God into our everyday life, and that is absolute surrender. Week one was desperate faith. Week two is absolute surrender. So if you have a copy of God's word, would you look with me at John chapter 6? In just a moment, I'm going to read a story that is found in verses 1 through 14. This is a story that if you've been in a church context at all, you've probably heard this story. This is a story I remember hearing as a young child growing up in church. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. For everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, He distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, He said to His disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign... Which had been performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Out of these verses today, I want us to look at four lessons about absolute surrender. Four lessons that come right out of this text that will challenge us today in the area of absolute surrender. But before we get to lesson number one, I want to I throw out a question to you. And it's a challenging question, but I want it to settle in our hearts as we work through this text of scripture. And then at the end of our message, we're going to come back and talk about it a little bit more and what it looks like in our lives. But here's, here's the big question today. Am I willing to surrender all that I have to God? And trust Him with the outcome. I want us today to do an inventory. And I want you to think about what God has placed in your hands. Are you at a place as a follower of Jesus where you are willing to surrender all that has been placed in your hands? To surrender that to God and trust Him with the results. So let that settle on your heart for a few minutes as we walk through These lessons today. Here's the first lesson we see in this text about absolute surrender. The activity of God is not limited by the resources of man. The activity of God, the extraordinary power of God, is not limited by the resources of man. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus and his disciples had made their way up to a mountain. And it says they were sitting there. Now, we don't know if they were sitting in a circle and just telling stories, if they were spread out and looking over the horizon. But at some point, as they're seated on this mountain, Jesus looked out and he saw a crowd of people that was coming to him. And when he saw this crowd of people, he asks Philip an unheard of question. Now, here's why the question Jesus asked Philip was so unheard of. Because the Bible records that among this crowd were 5,000 men. But that does not include the women and the children that were also gathered in this crowd. So scholars and historians tell us that in total, this crowd numbered somewhere between fifteen to 25,000 people. Now... Just to give you a little context about what this looks like. There's a race here in Vegas that's being ran this weekend, the Rock and Roll Marathon. And in years past, the runners within that race have totaled somewhere between 15 to 25,000 people. I want to show you a picture of exactly what that looks like. So imagine Jesus and his disciples. They're sitting on this hill. They look out. And they see this sea of people. And Jesus says, hey guys, what do you think about feeding all these people? So you can see why this was an unheard of question. And apparently in the group of disciples, Philip was the one with the administrative mind. He was the guy who worried about the budget and the logistics. And so he immediately goes into planning mode, and he starts thinking through, okay, what are the options for us if we in any way want to see all those people fed something by the end of the day? And there were several options that he came up with. Here's one of them. One of the options to see those people, this sea of people be fed in some capacity, is the disciples could send them home to go get something to eat. You say, how do you know that? Well, this story is recorded in all four Gospels. And in Matthew's account of this story, here's what the Bible says. When it was evening, the disciples came to him, meaning Jesus, and said, The place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So as Philip is processing, okay, how do we respond to Jesus' request? One option is we send all of them home and tell them to go get their own food. That's one option. Here's a second option that he talks about. They could buy food for all the people. And I don't know how Philip did the math, how he put it together, but he says in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. For everyone to receive a little. Now, what in the world is denarii? Well, that is a Roman silver coin equivalent to one day's wage for a working man. So 200 of those would equate to eight months worth of wages. In our city, the average median income is just over $51,000. That would mean to feed this crowd on that day it would be around $34,000. A small fortune that is not even going to satisfy everyone's hunger. So Philip is struggling here. He's thinking through some logistics. I love what John MacArthur says about Jesus and Philip in this story. Listen to this statement. Jesus was not trying to discover what Philip was thinking since he already knew that. Nor did he need Philip's input to help him formulate a plan. He knew that Philip knew of no place to get bread and had no plan to provide it. The Lord's purpose in questioning Philip was to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do and it had nothing to do with buying bread. As he does with all his people, the Lord poses the dilemma... As a way of testing the disciples to strengthen their faith. So we see the options that Peter establishes. Well, there's another option. One of the other disciples, his name was Andrew. And apparently, Philip was the administrator. Andrew was the doer. And somehow, some way, Andrew had engaged the crowd. And he went around looking to see if anyone had anything to eat. I don't know if he stood on the mountain and was screaming at the people. I don't know if he went through the crowd and was saying, hey, Jesus is hungry. Does anybody have any food? But somehow, someway, Andrew found this little boy who, for all intents and purposes, had a Happy Meal. (laughs) And Andrew comes into the picture in verse 8 and says, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what... Are these for so many people? Andrew brings a third option. Philip has said, send them home. We can figure out the money thing, but it's way too much and not sufficient. And then Andrew comes with option three. He says, hey, I have a boy's lunch. So after all of the discussion, the disciples walk up to Jesus and they hand him a happy meal and they're basically of the opinion of, Jesus, what you've asked is absolutely impossible. Have you ever been there? Where you, you look at the need, you look at what's in your hands, and you think to yourself, there's no way. There's no way. That's exactly where the disciples found themselves in response to Jesus' question. I love what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says. Man's inability set the stage for a manifestation of Jesus' compassion and power. The reality is all of us have been entrusted with resources. Every one of us. For some of us, it's the resource of possessions. For some, it's the resource of time, the resource of influence, the resource of a job, the resource of money, the resource of wisdom, the resource of education or skills or passions. And regardless if your list of resources is long or if it's very, very short, God is not limited by the size or amount of our resources his power, his wisdom, his perspective, and his ability go far beyond what we would consider to be possible. Here's lesson number one from this story. The activity of God is not limited by our resources. That's a big deal. And that is completely apparent as you study this text in John chapter 6. The activity of God is not limited to the resources of man. Here's the second lesson in this story. The activity of God is linked to the resources of man. It's not limited by our resources, but it is linked to our resources. So they give Jesus the happy meal, and then Jesus gives them some instruction. Here's what he said. Go have the people sit down. And just reading over this this week, I wonder how he said that. Was it with a smirk on his face because he knew he was about to blow their minds? Was it exhausted because once again they did not get that he was the son of God? I don't know how he said it, but he tells them to go have the people sit down and they divide up the people in groups of 50 and 100. And in that moment, Jesus performed an incredible miracle and he did it with a happy meal. Now, before we just move past this, I want us to look for a moment at at this little boy. Because I think there's a lot we can learn from this little boy that Andrew identified who had this lunch. First of all, I want you to see this morning that this little boy was insignificant in society. If he was in this room, he would be overlooked. One of the ways we know that is because the type of bread that he had was called barley bread. It was a bread that was the cheapest of all bread. It was the bread of the poor. So this is just a poor little boy who has a little lunch who just happened to be hanging out in the crowd that day for whatever reason. This boy was insignificant. And what he had in his hand was insufficient. When the disciples came back and said to Jesus, This little boy's lunch is what we found. I'm sure they were all thinking, We have failed this mission. The boy was insignificant. And what the boy had in his hands was insufficient. James Montgomery Boyce said this, The point of the story is that the insufficient from the hands of the insignificant became sufficient And significant when placed in the hands of Jesus. And here's what I love. I love that Jesus chose to use a boy that we can all relate with. Because not everyone in this room can identify with having more than you need. Or having an abundance. But we can all relate with having resources. That we feel like are insufficient. Or that don't really count in the context of the kingdom of God. I wonder when Andrew was moving through the crowd, how this little boy spoke up. If Andrew's walking through the crowd and saying, does anybody have any food? Jesus needs some food. We want to do something today with some food. Does anybody have anything? How did that little boy speak up? I mean, he's listening to Andrew. He's looking at a Happy Meal. He's listening to Andrew. He's looking at a Happy Meal. And then he says... Uh, Sir, Um, I have this. If we were to go around this room today, and I was to ask you to speak up about what resources you have in your hand, I'm sure there are a lot of us that would say, uh, well, this, this is all I have. You may say today, well, all I really have is some extra time. All I really have is a passion to help people. All I have is a skill that maybe I can teach others. All I have is a small platform of influence. All I have is an extra vehicle or some extra clothing or more furniture than I need or my own business. I'm just ordinary and insignificant. And that's the beauty of the challenge from this little boy is that today, even though some of you may feel ordinary and insignificant, we are to bring that to our God and lay it to him because he is significant and he is sufficient. William Barclay said, it may be That the world is denied miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we will not bring to Christ what we have and what we are. That's the second lesson in this story. The third lesson is this God delights in our surrendered resources. God delights in our surrendered resources. So the disciples go and they have the people sit down and then Jesus took the food and the Bible says he prayed over it. And I was thinking this week, what were some of the things that were captured in that prayer? I mean, he's looking over a sea of people and he's got a happy meal and he starts praying over it. I would imagine two things for sure that were in his prayer. Some excitement because he knew his extraordinary power was about to be unleashed in the lives of these people. I believe that was a part of his prayer. I also believe that there was joy because of the generosity, because of the absolute surrender of this little boy. I want you to think about something this morning. How do you hold your resources? I mean, We've got this example of this little boy who had this food. We know he was poor, so we didn't have a lot of it. And he, and he, and he hands it over. He lives loosely with what was in his hands. If I'm transparent this morning, there are many days, and when it comes to what God's put in my hand, I I give him my leftovers. I mean, the boy could have eaten several pieces of the bread and eaten the meaty parts of the fish and just handed the leftovers to Jesus. But he said, No, Lord, I'm going to give you my best. The principle is not that God delights in resources, He doesn't need our resources. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He spoke and created the universe. He does not need our resources. He delights in our surrendered resources. Because you see, for him, it's way more about our heart than it is really what's in our hands. That's a challenging principle from this little boy. God delights, not in our resources because He doesn't need them. God delights in our surrendered resources. The fourth lesson that we learn from this story is this. God will accomplish more with my resources than I ever thought possible. God will accomplish more with my resources than I ever thought possible. You can just imagine this little boy leaving his tent or his home or his village and he has this this lunch. He never dreamed that that day Jesus was going to use that small amount of food to bless and impact thousands of people. But that is the way that things work in the economy of God. We can invest a little and God uses it to have impact and influence on a lot. God will accomplish more with my resources and your resources than we ever thought possible. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works. Within us. That's the principle. When it comes to our resources, God is able to do more with less than we ever thought possible. One of the Christian teachers that you hear Pastor Vance quote a lot and that I study quite a bit is a guy named Andrew Murray. And in the early 1900s, Andrew Murray was extremely influential in the Christian context. And he records in one of his books about being in Scotland. And while he was in Scotland, he was having a conversation with a key influencer in the church movement that was there. And he records that he asked that man, What do you think is the most pressing message that the church here in Scotland must understand. What should be preached? What should be talked about? What should be shared? And he records in one of his books that that leader from Scotland said this. He answered very quietly and simply and determinedly. Absolute surrender to God is the one thing. If we're going to talk to anything Anything, if we're going to talk about anything in the context of our churches, the one thing we should talk about is absolute surrender to God. So I want to come back to the question that we started with. Before we dove into the text, I asked you this question. Am I willing to surrender all that I have and trust to God and trust Him with the outcome? I don't know the resources that he's put on your heart today. I don't know what he's placed in your hands today. But my challenge for you would be to learn from the generosity and the surrender of this little boy. And maybe today for the first time in a long time, in a fresh way, say, Lord, whatever you have placed in my hands, I surrender that to you. And I completely trust you with the outcome. I hear people say things like this often in in response to that question. They'll say, I'll surrender when I feel it's time. Or they'll say, I'll surrender, but it has to look a certain way. Listen, that's not surrender. That's seeing God as an option, not as your only hope. And that attitude does not invite the extraordinary power of God to be unleashed in your everyday life. Are we willing to trust God with our eternity, but not with our earthly resources? Think about that. We're willing to have full confidence in God to secure our eternity in heaven with him and give us eternal life. Yet we can't trust him with our budget. We can't trust him with our calendar. It doesn't sync up. God desires from us that we would live in absolute surrender. I'll close with this statement by Andrew Murray. He said, The cause of the weakness of your Christian life is that you want to work it out partly and to let God help you. And that cannot be. You must come to be utterly helpless, to let God work And God will work gloriously. This little boy with a little lunch didn't ask Jesus to help him feed the multitudes. He surrendered what he had to God. And he trusted him with the outcome. That is an accurate picture of absolute surrender.